0: Amen. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful time we had in worship together. What a privilege it is for us to gather on the Lord's day as a body and worship him. I'm I'm always uh, encouraged and lifted up uh, by just being able to sing together with my brothers and sisters and hear the word. And today it's, it's my turn. Um, I'm happy to uh, be here with you this morning. It's a privilege for me to uh, bring to you the word of the Lord. I want to thank Pastor Reggie again for the invitation to uh, preach God's word today on, on this Lord's Day. A couple of months ago, um, maybe it was a few months ago, uh, shortly after our, our men's retreat, um, I shared a brief message uh, during one of our Wednesday night prayer meetings. And afterwards, Pastor Reggie said to me, I, I really believe that needs to be a sermon for the whole congregation. And although I didn't know when that day would come, I, I knew, I said, he, you know, I think, I think you're right. Uh, so my sermon this morning is an expanded version uh, of what I delivered on that day. Perhaps some of you have already heard a part of it, but I've titled it, Where Are You Hiding? And may the Lord be blessed uh, and please to bless the preaching of His word. But let's pray uh, right now, Father. We just want to thank you for, Lord, Your awesomeness, Lord. We hear these songs and sing these songs with 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 lyrics that uh, really are, are are from the Word of God, and uh, and we thank you that they lift up our spirits, Lord. We we confess, Lord, that uh, we need You even now, uh, Lord. I need You even now. I pray that You would uh, bless. Lord, and uh, the, the word, and that it would go forth in power, Lord, by your spirit, Lord. Open ears uh, to hear uh, that which you have to speak to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, and that your word will not return void. It is sharper than any two edged sword. It can cut and divide and understand and divide between soul and spirit. And Lord, those things in our lives that need to be cut today, I pray that you would do that. Do what only you can do, Lord, by your spirit. And we praise you, Lord, and give thanks to you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you have been around children uh, long enough, Uh, one of the things that you, uh, and even from your own childhood, may remember is this game of hide and seek. And we're all familiar with someone counting uh, and us going to find a spot to hide and then hearing the words, ready or not, here I come. And uh, it's safe to say that uh, virtually every culture in the world has some form of this kind of universal human game of hiding, and even with even with babies uh, and parents, they they begin to play this game of of peekaboo, right? And they hide behind their hands, and they suddenly reappear with great excitement after a while. and And the point is that from very young we understand. The concept of hiding. I remember one day as a young boy, um, I hid from my own mother behind a sofa chair in our living room, and I had been disobedient about something and uh, was due for a spanking. So I, I, I quietly hid behind this chair as my mother would always announce when she was going to, you know, go get the. The rod of correction, and uh, you know, I hid behind the chair to avoid the inevitable. Even as my mother suddenly began calling my name up and down the house, and I could hear it as I'm behind this chair. Uh, but I was I was guilty. I was I was ashamed, and at this point, I was very fearful of the consequences that were were coming to me as a result of what I did. So I just kept hiding. But eventually, another, another feeling began to rise up uh, inside of me, and, and it began to overwhelm me. And that was the, the guilt and fear of ignoring my mom as she was calling me. <laughs> so I finally responded from behind the chair. And needless to say, on that day, I received the discipline that I was due. But here's what we all know from the scriptures and even from experience, that sin brings guilt, shame, and hiding. In our first parents, Adam and Eve experienced this when they sinned against God. They felt ashamed in, in front of each other and in front of God. And their first instinct was to cover themselves, to hide their shame with works of the flesh, the sowing of fig leaves. And they thought that those works would, would cover them. But when he came to them, they became fearful, and they hid themselves in the trees. In other words, his presence terrified them, so they hid from him. And that's why we are all hiders by nature. Sin made us hiders and and fearful of exposure. The guilt and shame that came from sin introduced this this instinct to hide from the presence of God. And we see this clearly in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, when God called Adam out of his hiding to give an account for why he was hiding. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And as God questioned him further... Adam began the art of blame shifting and to really demonstrate a reluctance to admit his iniquity and repent. And so to this day, man tries to hide from God, but you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from God. You must hide in God. And scripture uses vivid language to paint a picture for us of how in the last judgment, rebellious humanity will seek to hide from God. And turn with me, if you're in your Bibles, to the very last book, uh, Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 12 to 17, uh, and I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. That is Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. And the Word of the Lord says, When he opened... The sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves In the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Lord we thank you for your word may you bless it in our hearing and once again we ask that you open our ears to hear in Jesus name amen you may be seated we read from revelation chapter 6 that is a quite a profound piece of the scriptures and uh, you know we don't often read a lot from the book of Revelation for probably a variety of reasons maybe some of us have said that genre is too confusing Um, but it's a real shame because it's God's word and there's a great promise for those who would read it and keep it but the word revelation means the unveiling of that which was hidden how interesting is that And we get the word apocalypse, uh, which means revelation, from a Greek term that means to take the cover off, to reveal. Of course, Jesus is the divine author of this book, which was composed by the Apostle John as a letter actually to seven churches in Asia. But John is actually more of a recipient and recorder of, of the visions in this letter, that there are so many. You could sum up the the message of Revelation by saying that God rules history and will bring it to completion in Christ. That is a a one-sentence summary of the book of Revelation. God rules history and will bring it to completion in Christ. And John tells us early in chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, behold, and who is to come the Almighty. So every eye will see him, it tells us. Even those who pierced him. There's going to be a weeping and a wailing that will be unlike anything that has ever happened in the world when people realize that Jesus Christ is the King of kings And he is the Lord of lords. And that the Lord of lords is the Lord of glory. That he is the Lamb of God who was slain. That the one that they pierced is actually the Alpha and Omega. What a dreadful realization that it will be for rebellious humanity. On that day, many will seek to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. But how did we get to something called the sixth seal? I got to give you a little background. That's the nature of the book of Revelation. Um, And just to give us some context, In chapter 4 of this letter, the Apostle John sees a, a vision of an open door into heaven and a throne standing in heaven with one seated on the throne, the Lord God Almighty. And around the throne, there are 24 thrones, and seated on those 24 thrones are 24 elders which are probably angelic beings. Before the throne, he saw a sea of glass like crystal, which is probably a way of describing a vastness of brilliant purity because God is absolutely pure. And then John sees four living creatures surrounding each side of the throne who day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when those living creatures give glory to God, it says in verses 10 to 11, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And then in chapter 5, there's a scene in which John sees the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And he sees that in that right hand, there is a scroll with seven seals. And the contents of that scroll are so sacred that no one anywhere was found who was worthy to break the seals and see inside. Not the 24 elders, not the four living creatures, not any of the angels or beings in heaven or on earth. There is no one who can open it. And John began to weep loudly. Perhaps he felt... The hope of the church hung in the balance because there was none worthy to open the scroll and the seals. But then in in verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Worthy is the lamb. And then between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, John saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And the lamb takes the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And then what happened There was this layering upon layering of worship, singing, and proclamation of the total worthiness of the Lamb of God. And we need to hear it because you just can't say that. John records it like this for us in Revelation 5, beginning at verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's why we got to pray together. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll And I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Just like you did. And then the elders fell down and worshiped. It's just layer upon layer of absolute worship and adoration of the Lamb of God and the Almighty One. And so we saw that it was only the Lamb of God who was worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And the scrolls, the scroll and the seals represent the unfolding of the sovereign plan of God as a series of of judgments leading up to the appearance of Christ. And with the breaking of the seals, the events take place. And when we realize that this includes the second coming, it seems all the more fitting that, although John didn't know it, but he was led to weep just as he was held in suspense there for a moment, that is there no one worthy enough to open the seals? And now we get to our text, the sixth seal. Revelation 6.12 introduces it, which is what we read. And that is associated, as I said, with the second coming. And it gives us a preview of the coming destruction of the first creation in preparation for the coming of the new creation. And verse 12 to 13 say, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Not only do we find that the entire earth will tremble at the presence of God, but even the cosmic elements as well. And it goes on to say in verse 14, the sky vanished, like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is seems to be the fading away gradually of that first creation, but you recall Psalm 97, 5 says, The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth there is no mountain that is too strong too powerful <laughs> we think of the strongest things imaginable on our earth and it's nothing to God and just the fact that even the sky even the sky is, is as you will it's rolled up it's, it disappears you know that this is a time of reckoning, that the time is up. And then verse verse 15 begins to tell us, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. So even as this great, Shaking comes a, a you know, a, a, maybe it's symbolic, but there's a, a worldwide shaking. Maybe it's literal. could be any. At the presence of God, anything can shake. We have this imagery of the earth full of earthquake rubble because it has fully shaken. And every type of person, is going to recognize that the judgment of God, the time of reckoning, is at hand. And neither money, power, nor fame can save you. And one commentator wrote, they finally come to a point of fearing judgment, but with terror rather than with repentance. There is a difference. Verse 16 says, Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? There they will be, guilty and ashamed. And like their first parents, they can only think of hiding from God's presence. Only this time, instead of hiding among the trees, they're trying to hide in the crevices and caves that were formed in this rubble of cosmic shaking. How futile that will be. What cave or crevice can conceal them from God Almighty? You cannot hide from God. And they're seeking to avoid exposure and punishment, but not to repent. And if pressed about why they're hiding, they would probably point to their spiritual nakedness and admit to their present terror. But if he were to ask them, did you eat of the forbidden tree? The all too familiar sound of blame shifting would come from their mouths. The spouse you gave me, The parents you gave me. The friends you gave me. The school or the job that you gave me. The disability you gave me. The personality that you gave me. The hard life that you gave me. The riches that you gave me. It's all a form of hiding. I got to ask you, friend, are you hiding from God? Do you hide from his presence even as he comes nearer to you through his word? Do you blame shift? and try to justify yourself and excuse your sin? Do you try to cover your shame with the fig leaves of your own self-righteousness? You see, this is actually who we are by nature. But Christ is the lamb who was slain. God sent him into this world not to hide from God, but to do his will. He gave his life and hung on the cross as a curse to endure the shame of sin for us and to ransom a people for God. He did not eat of the forbidden tree as we did, but he bore our punishment so we don't have to. He had no sin, but became sin that we might become his righteousness. He did that so that we don't have to hide from God. He did that to reconcile us to God. And he conquered death. He rose again on the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father even now. And as we read, he is coming back. He's coming back for his bride, his church, and to judge rebellious humanity. You cannot hide from God. It's futile. You must hide yourself in him through Christ. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And of course, the response to that is obvious. And Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You cannot hide from God. David, in Psalm 32, and I read, I read this chapter last week, but these verses say this, for, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, the Christian is one who instead of hiding from God, hides himself in Christ. He knows that there's nowhere else to go since Christ himself has the words of eternal life. And yes, though the Christian will struggle in this life, he must diligently remind himself of his identity in Christ and continually find Christ to be a perfect refuge. And along with David, in Psalm 32, verse 7, say, God, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. deliverance." But rebellious humanity will be saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I want us to contrast that with another scripture. It's a beloved chapter of the Psalms, also written by David, Psalm 139. And for time's sake, I'm going to skip a few verses, but we're going to take a look at verses 1 to 18 and then 23 and 24. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. And lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you were there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you were there Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. And then we'll skip to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Hallelujah. What a (laughs) hallelujah. What a difference. What a contrast. David writes in such a way that invites the searching eye of the Lord. And, and he allows us to enter in, and, and by God's Spirit, who has inspired all of Scripture, we see... What someone who is a child of God, how they actually perceive the thoughts of God. There are, we don't have time to go through all of it, but there is even here uh, verses where it talks about even search my thoughts. There's no intention to hide anything. Search everything about me. Tell me even if I have hidden faults if I'm thinking wrong thoughts, Lord, search it because I don't want to sin against you. So the Christian is one who goes from hiding from the presence of God to hiding in God. And we know that it is only because of Christ. David delights that God actually knows him He thinks about all these thoughts at once when he's thinking about, if if I could count them, they're more than the sand. And we have this moment there where then he wakes up, perhaps he fell asleep just thinking about all of the thoughts that God would have toward him. He delights in the sovereignty of God, in how God formed him. And just think about it. He says, this thought, this is too high for me. This knowledge, this knowledge about God's knowledge He's thinking about God's knowledge, and he has now knowledge of God's knowledge. And it's like, oh, that's too high for me. That is so awesome. But if you sit there and think about it, how can we hide from God? God knows our going out and our coming in, and every detail, every hair of our head, or any other place if we don't have hair, is numbered. Every wrinkle, God knows. Every thought, He knows. And so, rather than hiding from him, we need to be inviting him to search us. That's an agreement. It's not that he doesn't, it's not like he needs to form a search committee. He already knows. But it's an attitude of the heart I'm open, Lord. I seek to hide nothing from you. Search me and know me. And delighting in this knowledge, and for the, and God knows. Everybody, every detail of everybody. But the Christian has a special uh, bit of information, that there is a special love for the children of God. And that when God knows you as a child, he's knowing more than just intellectual information about you. That you have 78,000 pieces of hair. It's not even about that. He knows you in such a way that is special compared to those who are not his children. And this should delight the child of God because this is a special kind of love. The Old Testament says that Adam knew his wife. It's not about here, right? It's it's intimacy. And so when you take Psalm 139, and you bring it into even a new covenant context where we have even more information about Christ. And we even sang about how the redeemed, you know, there is steadfast love that will never end. To know that God has that kind of love for you. I mean, sit there and count that all night and go to sleep to that That is the most sweetest, most beautiful thing imaginable. As we, music ministry, you you can come up. As we wrap up, I want to just challenge you to, if you're hiding from God, recognize that you can't hide from him. Go back and look at Christ. He is the lamb who was slain. And he alone is worthy. Worthy of all glory, honor, and praise because he is the one who conquered. There is truly none like our God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 4 says this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a great classic hymn that I enjoy, and I only want to quote one little stanza of it. It's from the 18th century. Augustus Toplady Rock of Ages. Perhaps you've heard of it. Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood. From thy wounded side, which flowed, be of sin the double cure: save from wrath and make me pure. I mean, that that about sums it up. Would you stand so I can pray for you, church? Oh Lord, we thank you for meeting us this morning. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for even the reminder that we can't hide from you. You're everywhere, you see everything, and Lord. So many of the ways that we hide, maybe pretending to be who we're not, having secret sin, God, you see it all. I ask, Lord, that you open our eyes and, and even, Lord, as, as your children, sometimes we go back to hiding. It's like we forget But how can we hide from our God who sees all things? Let us be instead uh, like how David wrote, O oh Lord, search me. Let there be no hidden thing within me. Instead, Lord, I want to I wanna fall asleep counting the thoughts that you have toward me as your child. Help me not, Lord, when confronted by your word help me not blame shift help me be quick to repent Lord acknowledging Lord that you have every every right to search and probe and may that always be our desire not just that you have the the right to do it but that it would be our desire oh Lord please do this because we want to be increasingly pure in our walk, in our conduct. We want fruit, Lord. So whatever hinders or blocks that, Lord, remove that from us. We pray this, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I leave you with Paul who said, and now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.